I'd like to just read for you the scripture for this morning from Psalm 73, beginning in verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. The word of the Lord. We're in a summer series, and uh, we're asking a very important question in this summer series. Basically, what does the heart of the Father look like? What is the heart of God? And uh, specifically, the question for all of us, do we know the heart of God? And if you do know the heart of God, it will transform the way you live your life. If you believe that the Father is good, some of the time, but not all of the time, it will radically impact the way you view the things that you have to struggle with in this life. Uh, We've all been given a cup to carry. Jesus had a cup, remember? And he said, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But he knew his Father's heart... And that made it possible for him to deal with the cup that he had been given. If you if you can imagine that if he had doubted the father's heart, if he would have said, oh, my father is good sometime, but not all the time. Oh, what a difficult mission that would have would have been for Jesus. But he knew his heart. Years ago, a a wonderful man uh, by the name of A.W. Tozer talked about the heart of God. Tozer was an American pastor, uh, spent uh, most of his ministry, I suppose all of it, with the Christian Missionary Alliance folks, spent the last number of years of his ministry in uh, Toronto. But he wrote this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a powerful statement. What you think about God makes a big difference in the way you forge your way in this world. What do you think about God? How do you see Him? Angry God? Judgmental God? Distant God? Kind God? Loving God? Everything you think about God affects the way you live Affects the way you treat people. Affects how you respond to disappointment in life. Affects how you respond to tragedy in life. And how you find your purpose in life. We talked last week about the Father's heart being good. And next week, uh, Pastor Norb's going to talk about uh, the Father's heart being generous. He's a generous God. And this morning, the trustworthiness of the Father's heart. Can you trust His heart? Can you trust the Father? If we can trust the Father, it will transform the way we live. 
So for the sake of being able to kind of follow what I'm trying to communicate this morning, I'd like just to ask two questions and wrap our thoughts under these two imperatives. Number one, can you trust God? And number two, can you trust God? It's all in the tone. Can you trust God? Can you trust the Father? Can you trust his heart? Psalm 73 is our passage uh, for our first question, particularly verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My heart may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He's mine forever. Apart from the uh, terrible stuff that happened on Wednesday of this week, do you remember what happened on Wednesday of this week? Uh, the riots in Vancouver at the Stanley Cup final. Someone actually won the cup. We kind of lost the whole side of that, that this was a Stanley Cup and it was all about winning the cup. But the story, story kind of got lost. And not everyone was sad. I know that the Vancouver Canucks lost to the Bruins. There are some in this room. I will not mention who they are, but uh, who were quite glad that uh, Boston won this game. Some were cheering for Boston because of all the Canadians on the Bruins team. But there was one man from the Boston team who was just enormous. A huge man by the name of Chara. Am I saying that right? Chara or Kara? Chara, I think. Uh, you, you know the guy from Slovakia? Six foot, nine inches tall. Adds skates on top of that. Oh my goodness. He's very intimidating, and I think it must have been very comforting for the rest of the Bruins players to have a guy like Chara on their team, because when things get hot and heavy, nice to have a guy like that backing you up. John Ortberg is a pastor in a Presbyterian church in San Francisco. He's a prolific writer these days, and he tells the story that he was walking along in Newport Beach, Southern California, with two friends. He said, two, two of us were on staff and one was an elder in the church and we, we walked past a bar and a fight had been going on inside the bar and had spilled out onto the street, just like an old western. Several guys were beating up on this one guy and he was bleeding from the forehead. We knew we had to do something. So we went over to break the fight up. And he said, I didn't have much experience in this kind of thing. I mean, I missed the class in seminary where we learned how to break up fights in a bar. And he said, I don't think we were very intimidating. We went over there to where the fighting was and said, hey, you guys, cut that out. It didn't do much good. And uh, then all of a sudden they looked at us with fear in their eyes. And the guys that had been beating up on the one guy stopped. And started just to slink away. He said, I didn't know why until we turned and looked behind us. And out of the bar came the biggest man I think I'd ever seen. He was like six foot seven inches tall, maybe 300 pounds, 2% body fat, just huge. We called him Bubba. Not to his face. but, But afterwards, when we would talk about him. And Bubba didn't say a word. He just stood there and flexed. You you could kind of tell that he was hoping they would have a go at him. And then all of a sudden, my attitude uh, was transformed. 
And I said to those guys, we better not catch you coming around here anymore. Or you'll be booted out of here. I mean, I was a different person because of Bubba. I was ready to confront and ready to kick him out of there. Why? Because I had a great big Bubba. I was convinced that I was not alone. I was safe. I know you're connecting the dots. I invite you to spend a little time with the psalmist. In Psalm 73. At your own leisure time, but uh, what's been a fascinating passage for me this week. And I invite you just to curl up in your easy chair. And let these words just drift through your mind. Because they're a wonderful section on the trustworthiness of God. Problematic words, to be sure. But in the end, you've got some hope and some perspective and some direction. For our purposes this morning, I want you to see a couple of things. The first is the challenge that it is to trust God. I don't know if you find that. The challenge that it is to trust God. The psalmist looked around him and he saw a ton of problems. And it disturbed him and it causes him to wonder about the heart of God. Sometimes this life gets so complicated that people have a hard time trusting the heart of the Father. Reinhold Niebuhr, the American theologian, declared that under our modern smiles run deep rivers of cynicism and despair. That someone is always getting beat up in life and thrown out on their, on their head. And they're kicking and screaming and hitting and it's a, it's a messy world. Look what the writer of the psalm says, verse 2. But as for me... I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. Oh, and I love the language of verse 7. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. Verse 11. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High ever know, even know what's happening? See, the writer has a problem. And the writer sees the problem. The problem is that life just doesn't work out as, as we intend it to work out. People get beat up. People in places of authority take advantage of their power. Dictators rule with an iron fist. Financial empires are built on the backs of poor people. The villains always seem to win and the good and upright people get left in the dust. And you know, the psalmist was asking most of the questions that we ask today. Just a different world, same questions. I mean, what kind of God allows syndicated crime to control a vast empire of pornography and gambling? Why would God allow that? What kind of God allows drug dealers to live like kings? What kind of God keeps the world in fear of terrorism? Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, the Al-Qaeda who have now targeted 40 significant political and business people in the United States. They're a hit list. They let them know. They're after them. 
And the more the psalmist, psalmist thought about this, the more uptight he got. He said, my feet were slipping and I was almost gone. It's the old story. The wicked prosper and the good have to suffer. And the psalmist got a little bitter about that. You can tell he's not a happy camper. He sees the issues and it's festering inside of his heart. Why trust the father's heart? The psalmist muses. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Verses 13 and 14. It makes you think, really, what's the purpose? Why am I trusting God? The fat cats have taken a different view of life. And they seem to be prospering. Their view is, get it all while you can. Get it now because this world is all there is. And, and they seem to be getting it. Rolling Stone magazine interviewed Woody Allen. Among other things, Woody said, Someone asked me if my dream was to live on in the hearts of people. I said, I would prefer to live on in my apartment. You drop dead one day, and it means less than nothing if billions of people are singing your praises every day all day long. It means nothing if you're dead. And his point was, sure, Better get it now before the curtain falls because that's it. It's over. Ah, but suddenly the psalmist catches some perspective. He realizes that his thinking is off kilter. He's not seeing life as he should see it. He's got his eyes on his problems. He's got his eyes on the injustices of life. And it's messing him up. I'm so glad that God gave us his word. I'm so glad that we can get perspective from his word because I'm no different. Probably you're just like the psalmist too. We get bent out of shape because we start looking at the problems of life and the inequities of life and, and the terrible things that happen and it just like throws us for a loop. And we have to take another look at the compass and find true north. Where am I? Who is in control? It may not be a big Bubba that's standing behind us. But if we found the Father, if we found the Father, that's all we need. What did the psalmist do? I know you haven't had a chance to really look at the scripture. But what did the psalmist do? He went to church. <laughs> really, honestly. I, I mean, I should wax eloquent on this one. Encouraging everyone to come to church all the time. I won't do that. But Look at verse 17. He said, then I went into your sanctuary, O God. And I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. He went into the sanctuary. He went to church. Our vernacular. And he got his perspective changed. Well, maybe I will say something about going to church. If church was entirely about a few songs and a few comments from the Bible, and we did that over and over again, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, do you need to really go every Sunday? Is it that important? Well, here's where I come from as a pastor. I don't know your heart. Even today, I have no idea. I have no idea what's going through your heart. I don't know how you're doing. Are you resting in Christ? Are you angry at God? 
Are you struggling with something that's huge to deal with in your life? Is your heart breaking? What we do pray for Sunday by Sunday as people come to church is that there would be a connection. That God would meet us here. That through worshiping together, our hearts would be opened in such a way that God through His Holy Spirit would come to our heart and open the doors and open our eyes and open our minds so that our perspective is changed and tough things become manageable and and the peace of God rules and reigns in our hearts and we find that in the connection we call it the anointing of the spirit we call it God meeting us but it's not so much about one person preaching or a worship team it's about what we encounter as we open our hearts in worship and often that perspective is found in church with God's people worshiping we have a new perspective so the writer of the Psalms got his heart changed in church first he gained perspective on those who sin and deliberately go their own way it looks appealing but one day it will come to a crashing halt verse 19 he said I realized I was out of whack My heart was bitter, verse 21. The promises of God are true, he realized. And he just put aside the bitterness and said, Lord, you're the one who guides. You're the strength of my heart. You hold me. You guide me. Wherever I go, you'll be with me. You are there. Whom have I in heaven but you? God is the strength of my heart. Transformation of heart and mind, no longer believing the lies of the world, I mean, we keep hearing every day and every day that the world is getting better and better. Someone said just Wednesday night, I I think those riots in Vancouver speak to that. Maybe just a few bad apples that started it. But there were many willing to follow. There were many willing to follow. Social media just showcased the wickedness of the heart. I love this verse, this last verse. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. And he came back into perspective to know the Father's heart. I mean, we've said before, who who better to know the Father's heart than Jesus himself? There was a time in his life when the Father's heart, that was all that kept him going. There was a time when he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane facing those final hours when he knew his time was at hand and he prayed and he came to his father and he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death and he asked his disciples to keep watch with him. In Mark's gospel it says he went on a little ways and he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. But what he said in those moments is what I want you to hear. His cry, Abba, Father. He said, Abba, Father, everything's possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus called his father, Abba. It's very personal. Almost like to say, Daddy, Daddy, dear father. Some translate it, dear father. It's a term of intimacy. Who better to know the Father's heart than Jesus? Dear Father, Father, the one who's not far away. It's a term of reverence and love and personal relationship. In the hour of need, we come to our 
Daddy, our Father. And oh, aren't you glad you have a Father you can come to? When Ross is hours and hours away by plane in Afghanistan, the same God who's looking after us is looking after him. He's there. He's the Abba Father. There's an often told story on the internet, true or not, I don't know, about Susan, a 34-year-old woman who lost her sight due to a medical misdiagnosis. And she fell into a deep depression, once uh, fiercely independent, now she couldn't function. Her husband, Mark, suffered alongside of her. Mark loved his wife and was determined to help her kind of get back to independent living again. Every day, Mark, an Air Force officer, would drive his wife to work, walk her into the office, make sure that she was settled, leave her, go to work at the base across town, and then pick her up at the end of the day. And that went on for weeks. But for reasons of distance and cost and time, it just couldn't go on that way. And Mark told Susan that, that she would have to learn to take the bus. And, and she was so resistant and so fearful and said, you know, I can't do that. You know I'm blind. You know I wouldn't find my way. You know I'll be lost. And, and uh, he said, but I will, I will help you. I will help you. And he helped her learn the stairs and learn the paths. And finally, after two weeks of practice, Susan faced the, the journey alone one Monday morning. Susan made her way to work on her own every day for a whole week. And on that Friday morning, Susan made her way onto the bus coming home. And as she went to pay her fare, the bus driver said, Ma'am, I envy you. Susan said, Are you talking to me? What do you mean? The driver replied, Every morning for the past week, a fine-looking gentleman in a military uniform has been standing across the corner watching you when you get off the bus. He makes sure you cross the, bus, the street safely and he watches you until you enter your office building. He never takes his eyes off of you. Then he blows you a kiss, gives you a little salute, and he walks away. You are blessed. See, when you know the Father's heart, you know that's what he does for you every day. He never takes his eyes off of us. He's always there when we think we're alone and not sure of the next step. He's always there. And what you think you see about God makes a big difference in the way you forge your way in this world. Everything you think about God affects the way you live and the way you treat people and how you respond to disappointment in your life and how you respond to tragedy in your life and how you find purpose in your life. Two questions. Can you trust God? Can you trust the Father's heart? And here's the second question. I'll be brief on this one. Can you trust God? Sounds like the same question. But the emphasis is on you. The emphasis is on me. Can I trust God? In Psalm 73, the last, very last verse... The psalmist makes a, a commitment. He says, But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. It's a personal decision. If you feel like there's a huge distance in your relationship with God, that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of God. 
But it's the choice that we have to draw near to God. And that's what the psalmist wanted to do. Jesus trusted his father. Remember in the garden, he asked his Abba to remove the cup from him. James Smith, in this book that we've been recommending, The Good and Beautiful God, writes, The cup represents the things that are forced on us in life. We must all ask, what is my cup? What aspect of your life makes it difficult for you to trust God? Were you hurt by a divorce? Have you suffered loss? Are you unable to find a life partner and struggling with the prospect of lifelong singleness? Have you experienced the death of a loved one? Have you experienced the death of a dream? The, the loss of a business? The loss of some personal, physical capacity? Our cup is usually the thing that makes it difficult to believe that God is good. Perhaps the reason that Jesus could take the cup in the garden was the fact that he knew he was loved by the Father and therefore could trust him through the pain. I don't pretend that it's a wonderful world as Louis Armstrong loved to belt out. Life is difficult. Life is hard. Isn't that the famous line of Scott Peck in The Road Less Traveled? Life is hard. Life is difficult. But Jesus trusted his Abba. And we make a choice to trust in the God we know to be good. We also make a choice through life to not dwell on the difficult part of life. But also to dwell on the blessings of life. You've heard of the illustration of someone displaying a sheet of white paper in which was one blot. And when the question is asked, what do you see? We, we all say, we see the blot. The reality is it's just one blot. And the rest of the sheet is sparkling white. We forget about the rest of the sheet. There are blessings all around us. This day has its blessings. Careful that we don't focus only on the blot. We've been given many blessings. Better than Baba, the Father is with us each and every day. There's nothing that you can have to face alone. God can be trusted. He's a good God and He loves you. And you would be amazed at how He's standing, watching you, saluting you, blowing you a kiss, caring for you, supervising you and guiding you every day.